My name is Winnie. I'm um, from New York. Um, as was said, I'm a priest at Trinity Church, which is on the end of Wall Street, and I bring you greetings from them. But maybe more appropriately, um, I used to be the rector at St. Mark's in the Bowery, which is a church very much like this. Um, and unofficially, I bring you greetings from them, because they would love this um, and feel very at home here. So I feel very at home here. Um, they used, we are jokingly called in the Diocese of New York the Circle Church um, because we do this. Um, I think it's a perfect, perfect way to describe us. Also, no one ever lets me pick readings because I pick readings like that, like that Revelation reading. It's a fantastic one. We never get to read that in church. Um, you might not have noticed it before on a Sunday because we don't get to read it in church. It's right after the St. Michael and All Angels reading, and that one makes it sound, it's very cut and dry. Um, it, was a, it was last week, I think. Um, and it basically says that Satan gets thrown out of heaven in the book of Revelation, which is what you would expect, and it's about as dramatic as you would expect, and then it stops. What we don't get to read is what happens immediately afterwards, which is this. So in case you didn't hear it, um, and in case you don't have a Bible at hand, but it was a wonderful reading, I'm sure you did, but you might have been shocked by what it was. What's happened is that Satan has been thrown out of heaven, not happy about it, right? So everything's good in heaven. And the story does seem very hierarchical like that. Like there's a place up here, the bad guys get thrown out, the good guys stay up there. And I think they are all guys in that story. But then there's this woman, and it's not completely clear who she is, but it says in the passage before that she is wrapped in the sun. The sun is her cloak, and she stands on the moon. So this magnificent woman, wrapped in the sun, whatever that would be, right? And standing on the moon, and there are all kinds of dazzling things coming out of, on the top of her head as well. It's just a magnificent image. Gives birth to a male child, and it's clear that some kind of hope for humanity exists in this character, but it's not completely clear what it means. And it is she that when, the, when evil is cast out of heaven, that it follows her. And it's she that is running. And it is she that it says goes into the wilderness, this beautiful line for time and times and half again, and is cared for in the wilderness, in the wild. This magnificent creature in the wild. Right? And there is protected. This is just like three verses, I think, right? And then it says that the evil, with the dragon, right, these forces of evil that are coming, are so furious with her that water is sent to flood her so that she will die. And then did you hear it? It said, the earth itself opens up to absorb the water, to receive the water, to protect the woman. That's the reading. There's more after it, there's more before it, but that's the reading I picked. It's just a beautiful image, isn't it? That the earth itself helps to sustain and restore and hold safe hope. And in this one, hope is humanity, our hope. So again, Revelation goes on and on and it gets stranger and stranger, but there's this really beautiful section right in the middle that's this one. It has to do with a woman and the earth. So of course it fits the themes for this day in St. Francis and the time that we find ourselves in, in which we are honoring Francis. At home, and I think here as well, all over the world, there were climate marches a few weeks ago, took over our city in New York, led by young people. And it was at the time of the UN General Assembly, um, so it's a, a really intense time in New York. I think Greta Thunberg said yesterday, and it was pretty useless, right? I think that was in the paper, that nothing came of it, which is what they had expected, right? Which is horrible, um, but the truth of where we find ourselves today. 
So we've been thinking about water, all of us, wherever we are, um, because this is sort of the, the bottom line of the, the troubles that we find ourselves in in this time. So I've been thinking about water, and in thinking about water, I keep coming back um, to these images from the place that my parents are from. My parents are from India, it's probably obviously from South India. We're from Kerala. And the story in Kerala, um, which is uh, not provable and at times quite good, sometimes embarrassing, um, is that uh, Thomas the Apostle came to Kerala. Um, it's not, you know, there's no way to actually know. Um, it's a pretty cool story that Thomas comes to Kerala, which is possible. There are trade routes that come in that way, come that way and still do, and there's been trade between those parts of the world for a long time. Um, but that Thomas comes and he finds some people and he tells this very compelling story and they become Christians. So I've heard this story. I like it sometimes. Other times I find it embarrassing, right? But there it is. There's a place in Niranam where they have a memorial to this. I'm not from Niranam, but I got to visit it a few years ago. Um, and same, kind of excited, kind of embarrassed for them, but I went. And the church is really very good. It's an Orthodox church full of ancient artifacts, and they're not very well um, secured, so you can go up and grab a thing from a couple hundred years ago. You can see a text from a thousand years ago. You can touch the bench that used to be there. There's all great old drums. Um, very accessible memorializing of this historic community. And there's also a little flyer and a sign that says that you can go to the place where our ancestors were baptized by Thomas. So kind of exciting, kind of embarrassed for them, right? Like, eh, you know, that, that's kind of weird, but I wonder how you would preserve something like that for 2,000 years, right? What would it look like? So Kerala, just for context, is a very wet place. Um, we're right on the Arabian Sea. There are canals and waterways, lakes, rivers um, that come down from the mountains um, to the sea, and a little bit of the water comes in the other way. We used to travel by boat exclusively. There weren't a lot of roads, so it's just wet. When I was growing up, my, both of my grandparents had wells, and you could literally drop a bucket on a very simple mechanism. I could do it as a child, drop a bucket not very far, bring it up, fresh, clean, sparkling, cold water that you could drink. So there's water everywhere. So I went out that day to where it said their ancestors were buried, um, baptized by Thomas, um, expecting to see one of those little canals that are everywhere in Kerala. And that's exactly what it was. We walked over and there was a hand-painted board that said here, our ancestors with an arrow were buried by Thomas, which seems really unlikely, but great to memorialize a thing, right? Tell your story in the landscape. Um, and it was a canal. It was low, lower water levels than I'd ever seen in a canal in Kerala. There were stone steps that went down, kind of mossy and worn, and there was plastic everywhere. I'm sure you've seen things like that, right, where there are plastic bags and bottles for um, drinks, right, and just plastic waste everywhere. And water, which I was used to from my childhood, flowing everywhere in Kerala, there's just water everywhere, um, was stopped and there was kind of a green film on top and a little bit of brown under, and you've all seen this, right, in places all over the world where there's just litter that has clogged up running water, and it's just, it's stagnant, and it's dirty, and you really hope nobody was baptized in anything like that anytime recently, right? That wouldn't be good. That's just a rash waiting to happen, right? Not good at all. But it was striking to me that Kerala, a place that loves its water and loves its stories, loves its history, has had free access to water as long as anyone can remember. We might have other problems, but water is not our problem. Even there, 
there is no longer clean water. I remember when I was young, my grandfather could literally walk out of the house running his hand along a metal pipe all the way to the, um, to the well, feeling for any leaks, if there was something wrong with the water. And then if he didn't feel any, he would actually get on the ladder and go down into the well, running his hand along the pipe, because that's how simple the plumbing was. And if the water wasn't working, it was that there was a gap somewhere. Somewhere he was gonna find that there was a leak and he would fix it because there was just so much water. It was that simple to have access to water. That trip where I found that clogged um, canal was also the first trip in my family that I'd gone to visit my relatives and they had big tanks of water because you had to buy the water now because my grandmother's well, you had to go so far down to get any water that it was no longer safe water. So we had bought these tanks for all of us to use. And when I asked my relatives about it, they said, well, because sodas have come in and companies have come in that use a lot of groundwater, the water table keeps dropping, right? And so you go further and further and further down and water is now commodified. So the soda, particularly in Kerala, is Pepsi. For generations, they had worked to keep Coca-Cola out, um, but nobody had tracked that Pepsi is also the same thing, right? So Pepsi had come in as the alternative to Coca-Cola and basically taken the groundwater, um, which happens all over the world, but is really striking in a place that just has plenty of water, or it used to. So I'm standing, I was standing with my colleagues from New York looking at this who said, well, of course, we're in a developing country and people have plastic and this is, this is how that goes in a place like this. And I struggled to try to explain to them that's actually not how things go here. It doesn't have to be like that here. How do we, we can turn this around. This has happened in my lifetime, right? It, and I'm, I'm pretty old, but not so old that you can't reduce, turn around things that have happened in my lifetime. And we remember in the US rivers on fire because of the pollution in the rivers. And I suspect you have all have had similar things. We definitely had it in the middle of the country in New York. Um, our rivers would literally light up because they were so polluted, right? And we've cleaned most of those. It can be changed. But we've cleaned them with enormous physical plant projects in our country. They're hugely expensive. They're hard to do. A lot of political will has to be organized around them. And in our country, that's falling apart. Right? We're starting to lose track of how hard that was to accomplish and how important it is. So while I'm, the, the same trip, while I'm watching these, these odd um, stories of water and of our water leaving us in this place that is defined by its water, there's also a story of a man from a very simple village, not a Christian, um, he was, and not a Hindu because he's a Dalit, so not allowed to be a, a Hindu but, and had not chosen another religion, had grown up by the river Periyar, which is one of our beautiful, strong rivers in central Kerala, and remembers as a child, as a poor child of a single mother, being able to go out to the river and very easily catch a fish and have dinner. Um, and that it was always easy to grab fish. She couldn't afford rice, they couldn't buy food, they didn't always have vegetables or fruit, but they could pick fish out of the river. Almost by hand, it was that simple. And so he has watched his own river become polluted and the canals become polluted, the water levels drop in the wells. And so he decides, as a powerless person by every definition of what power is, that he will do something about it. The Periyar is a rushing river, right? And so he has, starts to organize local people um, to go in and literally pick the plastic out of the water. It's a very sweet story, um, kind and good and generous and probably ultimately ineffective, but sweet. But the story actually goes on 
Um, of course, there's some resistance from uh, government because he writes to the companies that are sending their pollution down the river that this is, this is a problem where we live, right? You're creating trouble where we are. It goes on and on in these ways. He is having a tough time. He's all by himself, but he actually manages to organize some people with him. And there's a beautiful picture in the paper while I was there of him standing lined up with, it had to be hundreds of other people to cross an entire one of these canals. And they are walking step by step, picking up all of the waste in front of them hundreds of them. They did it for months, just step by step through this canal. And they said about three months in, so 90 days of doing this, and I cannot imagine how he organized people to do this, 90 days, the level of the wells started to go up in the community, right? And he just, of course then, now it's a very popular program in Kerala to go out and clean up your own canal. I don't know if they've done it in Niranam, where Thomas baptized our ancestors, but in other parts of central Kerala, it's, you would think it was a government-sponsored, initiated by government program to get some people together. You get a little money, you get a stipend if you do it, kids often do it, and walk step by step and hand clean these canals. When you think about the sco scope of the pollution coming from um, these massive corporations and these factories by the water or something like PepsiCo, going in with your own hand seems foolish, except that he did day after day after day with other equally powerless people until the water level started to rise. So, which sounds very much to me like the earth opening up its mouth and receiving all the water to protect the woman that stands in the wild place. So in this tough time when it is right, it is right to challenge government and the things that are and the things that are that seem to be the only way we can be, it is right. Right? It is right to find what is good for this earth, what the Christ life might mean for this earth, and what it might mean for all of us on this planet, in these bodies, in this time. It is right. It is also right to remember the power that we have in our hands and the power that is in this earth that can be unleashed if we could just help to unleash it. And maybe if we did, maybe if we stepped in together in these projects that at times feel like a folly, whatever that might be for you, Maybe the earth herself will rise up and greet us. Amen. <laughs>